Our scripture passage today is from Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Hebrews 11, 1 to 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Good morning. Don't forget, uh, hey, if you're first time through your verse, really glad you're here. And don't forget, if you're a member, you're by default a greeter. So make sure you meet some folks this morning and make them feel at home and at welcome. Uh, at welcome, at home, and welcome. I guess you could be at welcome. If you weren't welcome, you're there, you're at welcome. So make sure you feel somebody, make sure you make somebody feel at home. Also today, we've got 8 through um, 12, uh, eight through uh, twelve year olds in service today. And if you're a mom, don't forget, it's cool, all right? Kids make noise, and that's all right. And I want to encourage you. They will take in more than you can ever imagine they'll take in, okay? There's ministry happening. There's something supernatural that's not explainable uh, when the Word is opened, and God does works in the hearts of students. And so take this time as an opportunity um, for you to be able to take something to take and uh, unpack with your little one as the Spirit of God does what we can never do um, in our time, okay? You all right? Be at rest. Um, I, I want to say this as well. I just totally feel compelled to say this. Don't think that um, that elders, pastors are there. When it comes to reading and studying the Bible, it's a lifelong pursuit. Um, degrees held in anything Bible is, is, does not mean one has figured it out. Um, as, as we study through passages, it, it is as... It, it is as transformative for me as a human being creating an image of God that's been redeemed through the gospel as it is you. And so I just want you to know as we, we study through gospel faith in the Old Testament, we're going to be breaking this up in segments because there are a lot of examples in Hebrews 11 of gospel faith in the Old Testament. And we're going to be doing this for the rest of the year. We're going to do three or four on this. We're going to do something else in three or four and blend it all together. Just know that the, the work of the gospel is not finished in me. As, I, I, as I'm sure it is not finished in all of us. And so uh, I'm, I'm a student with you, okay? And, uh, and it's been really good for me this week to, to begin to um, take this uh, apart. Um, I think it's real important to say some very important introductory things on the front end so that we don't take Hebrews 11 out of context and, and pull a TV preacher with it and abuse it. Um, so if you'll allow me some liberty before I get to some main points, and if you pull down the notes, you see a little probably more extensive than you were looking for, but I don't want to abuse faith. Um, I think in a world where people um, come across as dismissing faith as wishful thinking or simply identifying it with beliefs and practices that are particular to other religions such as the Muslim faith or the Christian faith or the Jewish faith. Or simply they hijack faith to make it a tool that is used to yank father's proverbial chain so that he gives us stuff. It'd be good to have a real nice picture of the faith that according to Hebrews 11 actually pleases God. 
Um, Hebrews, the book itself, not just chapter 11, the entire book of Hebrews. And if you've been here long enough, and I know there are a few of you in here, like Goldman and, 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 and you know, you guys who've been here kind of from the beginning. We studied through Hebrews um, back going on like years ago. And so I, I didn't say a number because I don't remember. So it's been a while, but we studied through Hebrews. And it, this is not just a chapter 11. This is the entire book of Hebrews issue, this issue of gospel faith. Hebrews, the whole book, shows the link between faith, hope, obedience, and perseverance while illustrating that faith is more than an intellectual agreement with certain beliefs. Faith is so much bigger than mentally agreeing with the right things. Saving faith is that. Being transformed by the gospel is not agreement with facts about Jesus. In James, the demons believe. They think right doctrine. But it's not saving belief. Faith is more than intellectual agreement with certain beliefs. God-honoring faith takes God at His word. And it lives expectantly and obediently in the present. Waiting for Him, that is, Father, Son, and Spirit. The triune God of the universe to fulfill His promises. Understanding, too, that faith can bring often does persecution in various forms. Faith can bring suffering in that waiting for the Lord to be faithful to His promises for the fulfillment of hope. And it can be difficult emotionally, mentally, and physically via persecution for the gospel. As a people... Three Rivers Community Church, as a people who are seeking the glory of God and the building of the church, both local and global, by being and producing radical followers of Jesus through the various means that are employed in this church in doing ministry, in the places we work, in the stuff that tries, that we try to do, we're going to need to understand and have encouragement to live out the link between faith and hope, faith and obedience. Faith and endurance. Because you cannot do what we say we're trying to do simply on a decent plan. It is a supernatural work of God. Built on the promises of God to build His church. As we take Him at His word. Do what He said to do. And patiently wait for His faithfulness. I frankly do not want what we can produce. Because we topped out eight years ago. It is not enough to be suave. It's not enough to look good. It's not enough to smell good. It's not enough to have a foolproof plan in place. It is the work of God through the gospel to transform the world. And make ready the coming of the King. And we're not big enough for that. We're not tough enough for that. We're not suave enough for that. And so we're going to need to understand gospel faith and have encouragement to do so. We will need to practice the reality that God-honoring faith takes God at His word and live eagerly and obediently in the present while waiting for Him to fulfill His promises. 
the section in Hebrews 11, which will be all of it that we're going to be looking into for examples of gospel faith in the Old Testament, is totally and completely chock full of marvelous examples of eager anticipation, obedience, perseverance, and endurance. But Hebrews 11 is set up by the content of chapter 10, verse 19 to 39. So everything we see, really, from the beginning of the book until this point, is loaded with setting up chapter 11. But in chapter 10, verse 19 to 39, there is a special encouragement to persevere in the faith that is found in the assurance that the writer of Hebrews is giving to the people as he's writing to them that Jesus will return and he will not delay in fulfilling his saving plan. The writer does this really cool thing by quoting from Habakkuk 2, verse 3 and 4. Now, I didn't put it in your notes, and, and we're not going to take time to go look at it. You can go, go do that later. I just want to explain it to you. Because he quotes from Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4 in a form that depends on the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. I'm going to share with you why that's important. Now, if this were Bible study class, we would unpack that a little further and some of the technical details, but it's not. So we're going to move on. If you want that, you can take my class sometime. But we're going to move into what he's trying to do here because it's vital in exalting the person of Jesus. The Greek translation of the Old Testament takes that passage in Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4 and makes the subject a person rather than the vision that Habakkuk says. Habakkuk says there's a vision coming, and this is the vision that you're going to see, and this is, this is what it's going to be. And the writer of Hebrews takes the Septuagint translation to that and puts, rather than vision, the Son of God, Jesus. The Son is coming and will not delay. Intentionally, on purpose, under the inspiration of the Spirit, exalting the Son of God to the object of their affection so that they would be encouraged, never turn back, but keep your eyes fixed on the King. I didn't mean to scream today. I was going to try to be cool and just be all professorly, but I can't help it. In Hebrews, the implication is that Jesus is the one who is coming and will not delay. Jesus is that vision that is coming. And so the introductory words to that quote in chapter 10, he says, for in just a very little while, which he's probably taking from Isaiah chapter 26, 20, emphasizes the point and suggests that the readers of this book had a problem about their need to wait patiently for Christ's return. Because when you read Hebrews, it's very evident some have abandoned the faith and gone back to where they had come from. And he's writing to let them know you have absolutely everything to lose and nothing to gain by going back. So you have great need. To wait patiently for Christ's return. The writers also reverse the order of the sentences in Habakkuk 2.4. To make it clear that the person who lives by faith. My righteous one. Rather than he who is coming. May be tempted to shrink back. Emphasizing the point that God is not pleased with those who shrink back in unbelief. And those who do will be destroyed at his coming. But he ends the chapter very positively by saying that his readers, he believes, are those who believe and are saved. Jumping all the way back to chapter 6, verse 4 to 8. The writer uses this same structure in chapter 10 to encourage his readers to persevere. 
encouraging them to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Same pattern, chapter 10. He warns them about the consequence of rejecting Jesus. And I think this is important. I put it in my notes, if you're looking at them in parenthesis, in italics, he is speaking to the church, not non-Christians. In other words, he's reminding the church to not disbelieve. Don't fail in your faith. Because faith is not this one-time magic chain we yank. That opens the curtains and saves me. It is a lifelong reality. That is exercised as much today for me as it was the day I first believed. And I would argue is much more vital at certain times and places when it's not clear. What's going on? What are you doing? I can't see. I don't understand. It's as vital that today... I am able to trust what he has said more so than even then. And he's writing this book to Christians, not unbelievers. So he's saying to them, don't fail to believe. Okay, that would be a rabbit trail. We need to move. And as parents, let's don't do this to our children. And make saving faith this one-time prayer we pray. It is, it, is, it is having the gospel remove the blinders so that Jesus is viewed as more magnificent than anything this world has to offer. That He is better than life. That He is that gate in Pilgrim's Progress, that yonder gate, way, way off. And I can't, I barely, it's a long way off and over many mountains, but that gate is so fantastic, I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to get there. Let's make sure That's how we put Jesus in front of our little ones. Does that make sense? Oh, gosh. And as a dad of little ones, this is so vital. Okay, another rabbit trail. So, then, after saying this to Christians, in chapter 11, he gives us various examples and models. There are 19 specific people or events involving all the people There are specific people or events, and the events include all the people of Israel that are given as examples of gospel faith in the Old Testament. Faith that saved them, faith that gave them hope, caused them to obey, and caused them to endure. Guys, do not forget, do not forget that Old Testament is as full of the gospel as the New Testament. And I want you to see as we study through this that the Old Testament is faithfully holding forth the person work of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what they had their eyes on. Summiting this honor roll of faith. This great cloud of witnesses that have witnessed. And by the way, this great cloud of witnesses that the writer of Hebrews says is not our loved ones who passed on. They're not looking at us. They're too captivated with Jesus. To look down and go, well, Jolly's hanging out fine. They don't care. They're with the Son of God. And all has become clear. This great cloud of witnesses are these 19 people. And these examples of the entire people trusting in the King. That are witnesses to gospel faith. So that we can look back and see examples of people who've gone before and lived the gospel out in the middle of circumstances. The likes of which we can't even imagine in the Disneyland in which we live.
But summiting this honor roll of faith is the portrait of Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Who's the author and perfecter of the faith? The point is that our eyes are supposed to follow these faithful examples to the gospel. And follow these faithful lines of gospel living. And of people to come to finally the one who's the author of their faith. The one who has perfected their faith. That we might finally get to the end of, of Moses, Gideon, Samson, Jephthah, Barak. The people crossing over the sea. We would come to all of these wonderful examples of gospel faith. And we would see the one who gave them faith. The one who made it possible. The one who fixed it. Jesus, the Son of God. That we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and sat down. Right hand of God the Father. So, Three Rivers Community Church, we are to be people who look at this great cloud of witnesses, and particularly to Jesus, for encouragement to endure opposition and hardship of every sort. Three Rivers, while we wait for the Lord, we are not simply to wait here in a holy huddle. That is not faith, that is not gospel faith. We are to be working, to use Jesus' terminology, with our hands to the plow. So I know that's weird for us because none of us plow anything. But the idea is that we have our hands at work. We're working in gospel fashion, doing gospel work. Encouraging one another and being encouraged by each other's encouragement so that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But rather... We are to set ourselves up to stay the course in joy and faith which pleases Father and results in our salvation. So, I'm going to ask a few questions. Number one, what is faith? What is faith that pleases God? Well, the writer of Hebrews has an answer for us. Now, now, at the end of chapter 10, you're not of those who shrink back. You're not of those who turn around and go back. You've had your property plundered. You've had everything taken away from you. Verse 32, actually, of chapter 10. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and afflictions, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. You had compassion on them in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession than an abiding one. So therefore, don't throw away your confidence. He says, now, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Here, in this one little verse, we discover the essential characteristics of gospel faith. Faith deals with things future, that is, what we hope for. And it deals with things unseen, what we do not see. The NIV translation, you guys, I use ESV, and I think most of you guys, probably some of you guys have ESV. Maybe you're a New American Standard. Um, but the NIV translation, being sure of what we hope for, puts the emphasis on faith, as an expression of our confidence in God's promises. However, if we 
translate faith, and it is possible to do this, and it's perfectly acceptable. Faith is the assurance, or faith is the substance of things hoped for, or faith gives substance to our hopes. That's the New English Bible. If you translate it that way, it suggests that we hope for what becomes real and substantial by the exercise of faith. This also assumes that we hope for it to be informed by gospel hopes. We hope for things that are not seen only because they are gospel in nature and not simply dreamed out of our mind. I think it's important to understand the entire spectrum of what the Bible talks about in regard to the promises of God. And it's not for health and wealth and prosperity. It is for the reality that God, Father, Son, and Spirit will triumph over the evil one and He will save a people for Himself from all nations. And the implications that come underneath that for doing that gospel work. Those are the promises of God. So this isn't a blank check. Faith is not a blank check that we get the right to yank God's chain and get what we want for more comfort. It is a hoping for. It is the assurance that our hopes are built on. It is a conviction of things we can't see. We hope for things that are gospel in nature. And they become real and substantial by the exercise of faith. Which is a total rabbit trail and it's not in my notes. And I don't, I just, important to say this. Faith is a powerful, powerful gift given by Father. It is a powerful gift given by Father. He can give the gift of faith to believe for a person to be made well. James, the prayer of faith. And that's probably a little more charismatic than we Baptists are used to. But, but there is a supernatural ability for the Spirit to give the gift of faith to one in the room who understands one will be healed. And that elder should lay their hands on that person and expect that the gift Father has given for their healing would be done. And it's a powerful thing that brings healing. Faith is a powerful gift from the Father. But it's a powerful gift for the accomplishing of gospel ends. Not material ends. Back to notes. This doesn't mean that the gospel is true simply because we believe it. Rather, the reality of what we hope for is confirmed for us in our experience when we live by faith in God's promises. In other words, we are given faith and then the reality of what God has given us us the ability to see and taste becomes real in our experiences because He's given us the ability to see it and taste it. And when we walk through it, we realize, gosh, you were faithful and true. Again, faith is being certain of what we do not see or the conviction of things unseen. It is the means of proving or testing invisible realities such as the existence of God, His faithfulness to His Word, and His control over our world and all its concerns. Remember this old hymn? Jesus, Jesus, how I've loved Him, how I've proved Him o'er and o'er. I remember as a kid singing that song going... Never proved him. That's old school way of saying I've taken him at his word and he's been faithful. 
That's, that's, that's what that old song is saying, how I proved him time and time again. I've taken him at his word and it's been a solid foundation that has never shaken underneath me. That's, that's what I mean. It is the means of proving or testing the invisible realities such as the existence of God or such as the fact that Holy Spirit can do more teaching these little ones right here than our pragmatic minds can get their arms around. I trust that. I trust He can do it with you. You know why? Because I can't know every need of your heart right now, but Spirit does. And Spirit can take the Word and do something in you and address it, and I don't even have to speak it. So even now I'm trusting He's able to do through this what I can never envision is the case of your heart right now. Does that make sense? So it's a means of proving and testing the invisible realities of what God has given us to do. Another example. If I believe God is faithful to save through the gospel, and I don't think there's a soul in this room who would say, I don't think God's faithful to save through the gospel. I hope we've we've had enough there that we would understand that we believe God is faithful to save through the gospel. That will work itself out in saying, I'll proclaim the gospel to people who need to hear it. I will prove him. That is, I will take him at his word and I will preach the gospel to people who need to hear because that's how he will save people. You see, true Bible faith is not blind optimism. Blind optimism. This is Warren Wearsby. I tweeted this out the other night and some of you guys actually read it. True Bible faith is not blind optimism or manufactured hope so feelings. Neither is it intellectual assent or agreement to a doctrine. It is certainly not believing in spite of evidence. And I can't wait to get to Abraham. Abraham, Abraham's willingness to put his son on the altar and cut his throat is not illogical. You just steep on that a little bit. Read the chapter. He was reasoning. Faith is a reasoned out thing based on the trustworthiness of God. It's not believing in spite of the evidence. It is the evidence the Lord gives us through the gospel on which we stand and confidently go forward. They they didn't walk through the sea confidently because they had no evidence. The Lord proved Himself in the gospel work of the Passover, so therefore we can walk through the ocean too. It's not believing in spite of the evidence, right? Does that make sense? Thank you. Glory. That would be superstition. Christianity is not superstition. It's true. And therefore, it is reasonable to stake your future on Jesus. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Another quote for you here. Look, Warren Weir's before you. Faith is to a Christian what a foundation is to a house. It gives confidence and assurance that he will stand. Listen, if you're standing on gospel work, you can't fall. It's an unshakable foundation. And he comes here 
And he says, for such faith, the ancients were commended. They were commended. We've had time to deal with that word. It's the word from which we get the word martyr. That is, their faith showed the faithfulness of God. Number two, what made faith necessary? This is an answer that we have to come to here. What made faith necessary is the fall. You see, in the beginning, this was a cool deal. Our original parents walked face to face with the triune God of the universe. What that was like, I don't know. But the promise is it's coming again where we will see Him face to face. But they walked face to face with Father, Son, and Spirit. And in a moment of temptation, our first parents fell. And as a result, they no longer had face-to-face fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And so that accessibility was gone. And no longer could they come and enjoy communion with their Creator. And so therefore, all of their offspring from that point forward would be born with zero access to the God of the universe. That's devastating. That's absolutely devastating. Cain and Abel got to hear stories, but they couldn't see it. The day you eat, you will die. Listen, this is sad reality. But my little ones came to me incapable of seeing and savoring the triune God of the universe. And so why is faith necessary? Because our first parents picked that route for us. And we're stuck with it. But the good news is the second person of the Trinity took on flesh and He came and He died in our place for our sins so that if we would believe, we would take Him at His word. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, we would be able now to see and have the blinders lifted and go, Ah! There it is! Reality, truth! I can stake my life on that. And so, therefore, the fall was the devastating reality that made faith necessary. And so our parents not only alienated themselves from Father, Son, and Spirit, but they alienated all of their descendants from this great God, leading to the nation scattering and them inventing God in their own fallen image from that point forward. And I would argue accounting for the world's religions at that point. That's another topic for another time. But you want to know where those come from? Man's taking what they heard about God apart from divine revelation and making God in their own image. We can take a world's religions class and we can talk about that. But Number three, how do we get faith? I'm going to run out of time, so I'm going to have to go like Jehu through the streets of Jerusalem. How do we get faith? Ephesians 2, Romans 10, 14 to 15. Faith is a precious, precious gift. I want you to hear this. There is no one in this room capable of generating faith. It's not possible. You have been blinded by the evil one and the fall. You are dead in your transgressions and sins apart from the work of God. 
It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so no one can boast. None of us will ever stand before Jesus and say, look what I did. My friends didn't do it and I tried to convince them. But they couldn't do what I did because I did it and they didn't. But I'm here. No. Jesus, I was not looking for you. I was following the pursuits of my heart. And they were all wrong. But you intersected me at a moment in time and I wasn't looking for you. And you did this weird thing where all of a sudden I didn't believe, but then I did. And then now I do. And then here I am. And all you will have to bring is thank you. So that all the crying of our heart from faith is worship. Listen, if you generate faith, you gave God something. And He owes you something in return. There's a transaction that's taken place. Therefore, you can give back what He gave you. And I want you to know that's not possible. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Neither did I. It's a precious gift given by Father. And therefore... I would never turn back on that because I wasn't looking for that, but it's the best gift ever given, so therefore I hold it close and say, thank you. That's what you bring. I've had time to deal with Thanksgiving, His right worship. The psalmist will say, but that's a different talk for a different time. This isn't Psalms. Faith comes by the preaching of the gospel. This is why we, in our, our uh, worldview class the other night, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the role of apologetics. Apologetics cannot save people. There's no magic bullet to saving somebody. The only magic bullet is the gospel. The only thing apologetics can do is possibly knock down a few walls so that they can then see the gospel and be saved. Faith comes through the preaching of the gospel. How do we maintain faith once we've believed the preaching of the gospel. God generously hands out the precious gift of faith so that people can believe. How do we maintain faith? Colossians 2, 6 and 7. We live exactly the same way we were saved. That's kind of weird because I'm kind of looking for some magical bullet again. The Lord gives me like this three-step formula that if I turn around and apply that, it's like, oh, all of a sudden I get wings. I'm flying around. And I, what? No. In the same way you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, rooted and built up. Summarize it for you. You never outgrow the gospel, so therefore come to Jesus and the gospel daily. You want to exercise gospel faith tomorrow when it's hard to get up and go back to that job that you hate or whatever it is, and you know God's put you there and you've got to keep... You know what? The same way you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him. You need the gospel daily as much as you need it the first time you believed and was saved. Because I promise you, the evil one will come at, with you, come at you with God doesn't love you. God doesn't like you. Jesus doesn't care for you. Look how filthy, nasty, and rotten you are. Look how horrible you are. You know how you combat that? You're right. But he came and he adopted me as his kid. And in spite of me, he saved me and he loves me. He went to the cross to die in my place for my sin. And so... I, that's fresh and new for me today, Lord. I take that again and just, thank you. We need the gospel daily. I've heard wise people say, and I would agree, preach the gospel daily to yourself. Never forget that good news. Remain in Jesus. Never walk away from Jesus. 
This is why you'll hear me sometimes, rather than say generic God, I say Jesus, because I never want to forget, never want to forget who I'm talking about here. This isn't Buddha. This is not Muhammad. This is not Vishnu. Those are false gods. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, the Son of God, through whom which, if I have him, Jesus says, I have Father and Spirit too. So I'm going Jesus. Never, ever, ever walk away from the powerful name of the Son of God, Jesus. Stay in Scripture. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Scour, scour the Scriptures. Point four, I'm just going to hit it and then move to the conclusion. Faith trusts Father for the future. Hebrews 11.3, we believe that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. If you can trust that in six days he made all things from nothing, you can trust him with your tomorrow. He has not dropped the ball and he never Ever will. There's not a single molecule out of place in this universe. Neither will your day be. Neither will your day be. Five. Conclusion. What is it that stands out in front of us? Whether personally. Corporately. Whatever. That we need to trust Father for based on a clear call and command. What, what do you have to hold on to faith for? What gospel reality out in front of you do you have to hold on to for faith? And I'll just say this here. Faith doesn't always extend to the making well of our relatives. It's, you know, my father died in 2005 of cancer. My mom's got Alzheimer's. Jesus never promised to make them well. That's not what I'm talking about. It would be awesome if he did. But he hasn't promised that because the fall said you're going to die. So the reality is life is fraught with the curse. I mean gospel stuff out there. This big gospel advancement of the kingdom in me. In you. In our church. In our town. In the nations. Things that we know we have to trust him for. That if he doesn't do aren't going to be done. Here's some things for us to walk away and do to put this kind of faith into practice that has hope and encouragement and gives us endurance. Pray that his name is made great. You know what I do? I do ask Father would help things to work right up here for my mom. He hasn't done that yet. But I always put this qualifier on that. If it would make your name greater... It would make your name greater. That's how he taught his disciples to pray, right? Hallow your name. Make your name great. Whatever that looks like. If your name is greater, I'm cool. If not, I'm cool with that too. But make your name magnificent. Father, make your name great. Ask Father to make his name great. Ask him to do his purposes 
in you and us as they are accomplished in the heavenlies. Three, scour the scriptures for encouraging instruction that is alive and powerful. Now listen, if you haven't done that, there's no framework for you to understand what I'm about to say. Okay? But if you have hung your hope on gospel realities and scoured the text for something that will help you hold on one more day, and that moment comes when there's a text that just just happened to be on your reading plan or you just happened to turn to that page that day and you read it and it was the instruction you needed to know for that moment in time, and it's like the thing came alive and it's like your heart sprang to life and there was this moment of just you and the Lord. It's like, oh, that was was amazing. And you... if you if you haven't done if you've not been then you're like dude that dude's crazy he's like tripping no dude it's alive and active sharper than a two-edged sword and there's something about scouring the text for hope and encouragement and perseverance that he just at the right moment in the right time says here and you feed on it and you're ready to go one more day scour the scriptures for that stuff fourth pray that father makes a way where there seems to be no way there's this old musical back when I was in college at Shorter, um, and it wasn't my style of music, but somebody gave it to me, and it was just what I needed at the right moment in time. It was very choral in nature, um, not like the stuff under the water, but like, oh, choir. Uh, and so I'm musically ignorant, sorry. And uh, it was called God is With Us. You may have heard of that musical, God is With Us. You should go find it. It's amazing. There's a song on there that you used to just... Mm, It was great. And the title was, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. He loves me and gives me strength for each new day. He will make a way. And dude, that is a reality of Scripture. Pray that he will make a way where there seems... Because you know what the reality is? When we come and it's like, dude, there's a wall here. And I'm quite certain the Lord said, go... Trust that he's able to knock down a wall. Trust he's able to walk, knock down a wall. You need to read Pilgrim's Progress, by the way. Great little allegory to help you get your hands around that stuff. Bunyan did a great job with that. Five, pray for all the necessary resources, whether they be physical or emotional, to do what's in front of you. Six, pray for perseverance, if necessary, to die in trust, having never seen the outcome. One of the things we're going to learn from this chapter is many of these saints who went before us died never having seen the promise. Just because God makes you a promise does not mean He will accomplish it in your or my lifetime. We die trusting that He's able and we never turn back. And final, refuse to fret or worry. And by the way, I'm preaching to the choir. I think I said on the front end, um, none of that means I'm, doing, I'm, I'm pulling off the whole fretting or worrying thing. But don't, Refuse to worry. Which that's, that's a fight, isn't it? He's faithful. He will never let us go. Trust Him for that. And trust that He's working all things for our good. Let me pray. Father, as we begin to plunge into Hebrews 11 and we begin to look at faith um, in specific examples and in, in, in the people that you have given us to look at in the text who've lived this out, pray that you will... Encourage us to stay the course and not give up. But Would you make ways where there seem to be no ways? Would you encourage our hearts and all that and cause us not to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Help us to encourage and stand under and fight for 
lead us in the way of life. And help us at all times in faith to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. As we come to sing to you and respond and pray that, Father, you would stir the faith that you've given us through the gospel. That it may cause these mortal bodies to respond supernaturally to you and enjoy you and delight in you for just a little bit together. We pray in Jesus' name.